Coming up on the Jelly Irwin Show podcast today, the city of Grand Rapids announces the finalist for a third ward vacancy. We get the details. The Rockford Public Schools orchestras will perform March 1st commemorating the 10th anniversary of the program. We talk about the topic of companionship with guests from Pathways to Promise. There's workshops happening in March and awards have been awarded. West Michigan Works recognized 10 area frontline workers with the Beverly Drake Essential Service Awards. We talked to one of those winners. The city of Grand Rapids has announced the third ward commissioner vacancy finalists. You heard the new our news stories on this. Let's take it a step further. Third ward commissioner Kelsey Perdue on the line. Committee on appointments chair who's running the appointment process. Uh, of course, you the chair for sure. Kelsey, good morning to you. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Grand Rapids. Appreciate you. Oh, boy, why do you work, live, and play in Grand Rapids? Why do I live, work, and play? Oh, um, Grand Rapids is an amazing place to be. I was born and raised here. Um, my core memories are from here. Um, I, I would not be who I was without Grand Rapids. It has taught me love of community, love for service. It's taught me resiliency um, and so much more. Um, and it's just such a great balance of people and culture and things to do. I think there's something for, for almost everyone. Thank you for your testimony. There is a third ward commission seat vacancy created by the resignation of former Commissioner Nathaniel Moody. And uh, we are here to, uh, in general, discuss uh, uh, what this means and uh, what you need from the community. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, well, what does happen after, say, a commissioner resigns? Absolutely. So after uh, a commissioner resigns, the commission certainly works with our city attorney to look at our charter and to make sure that we are very clear on our options. And that's what we did after Commissioner Moody resigned um, effective January 1st. So that was our first step. And once we understood what our responsibility and our duty was as outlined by our charter, our governing documents, that's where we came to the public to share and to outline our process. And so the process has looked a number of different ways, but ultimately it's important to know that this particular appointment is the commission's to make. Um, What's interesting about this seat is that it's also up for election this year. So the voters of the third ward will see names on their ballot potentially in August and November for for this seat as well. Um, So we took the first step of inviting people, anyone in the third ward who was was qualified or or eligible, I should say, to apply. And eligibility meant that you had to live in the ward, for example, for at least six months. You had to be a qualified elector, and you had to be in good standing with the city. And so as long as someone met those three eligibility criteria, then they had a chance to talk with the appointments committee this week. Thank you. And, of course, uh, that has happened. Uh, many have come to the plate. Uh, 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 some have hit a home run. So at this point, uh, you have three that are applicable. We do. We have three that the appointments committee selected and recommended for consideration at, with the full city commission. Um, before we, you know, we, we, we had an interview with each of these folks, um, and then before we, we voted on who we wanted to, to send forward, I, I shared and I asked my colleagues to also share, you know, what were they looking for? What did they prioritize as they listened to the, the applicants? Listen, read over their interview packet. How did they come to the final decision? 
supporting who they plan to support yesterday. And what we heard, there, there was actually some synergy. We, we folks shared that they wanted, we want someone who understands the role of a city commissioner, what's within our scope, what's within our powers, and what isn't. With folks' priority areas, is it aligned with some of the strategic work that the city is already doing, as well as aligned with what we can actually do in our role as city commissioner? I'm certainly looking for someone that's collaborative because we will be serving the third ward together. Um, and we're looking for folks with deep, broad experience. We knew we weren't looking for a certain package, but we work on everything from street lights to, to, to street to housing mm. to homelessness. And so I um, really wanted someone with uh, various deep lived and uh, work experience that they could apply to this job. And so with that, we, we, we are moving forward with uh, Mr. Bing Bowie, who might be familiar to many folks in this com- community, Mr. Marshall Kilgore, and Mr. John Krajewski. Those are the, those are the three finalists that will that will go through an interview with the full city commission at our next uh, committee of the whole. Yes. And uh, will that be a public session on Tuesday, March fifth? Absolutely, it will be public. Um, anyone can join in person. You can we can stream and view it online. But our invitation, though this is a appointment from the city commission, of course, with any issue, we want to hear from community. We are open to community feedback and input. I received community input as we were preparing for this this last application round. So I invite the public to send members of the commission um, any letters of support for any of those three finalists. But then start after you read over their packets, and then certainly after they go through that next interview, um, and you folks get to see them in that light, um, to continue to send letters of support. Um, and particularly for me, being the third ward commissioner, that's especially mm. important. Um, I want to make a decision um, that is aligned with my vision and our vision for the third ward. And so certainly invite my neighbors to, to let me know what they think. Talking about the third ward commissioner vacancy finalists, thanks to Kelsey Perdue, commissioner, committee on appointments chair, of course, running the appointment process. So uh, uh, big responsibility you have. Could the city commission then make a decision at the 3.30 p.m. city commission meeting? At our next meeting, potentially, potentially, you know, my my approach is this is a big decision. We want to get it right. And so I I don't plan to rush a decision. If there's a clear person that's coming out front for me um, or for others, um, then potentially. But if not, we have a second meeting where we'll have time to finish interviews if needed, but certainly finish deliberations and conversations before making that final vote. And I think that's so important. I don't want to rush this. I'm, I'm proud of our process because it is getting us uh, to a decision um, relatively quickly. Um, And within that process, I don't want to rush any particular part. But I have to say, Shelley, I am so excited Mm. about these three finalists and really all seven applicants, their commitment and service to this community, to this city, connecting their passions with the work of City Hall is just so impressive. It's so inspiring. It takes so much courage to step up in this way so so publicly um, and to put yourself out there. So I want to thank and recognize all the applicants. I know it won't be the last time we'll see them. Many of them are already um, declared that they plan to run. Um, they shared with us that they plan to run for, for that seat this, this August and November. So um, I'm sure that the community at large will see more of them. Great. Well, we thank you for your service and of course leading this team and this uh, new uh, opportunity. Here we go. How do we find out more information? 
if you go on the, the city's website, there's a third ward vacancy page that has our process outline, key dates. It also has the application material submitted by all the applicants, including the finalists. And then just encourage everyone to tune in for our next committee of the whole to or special meeting to see the interviews live and or plan to watch the recording. And of course, feel free to, to email any of the commissioners and particularly myself at any time with your, your take, your input. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to select this person, um, swear them in by the end of March, and then have them ready to roll to serve starting in April. Yes, service important, uh, and this obviously instrumental to our city of Grand Rapids. Keep up your good work, Third Ward Commissioner Kelsey Purdue, Committee on Appointments Chair. We'll be keeping in touch. Thank you. Thank you. for March 1st, closer to spring. The Rockford Public Schools orchestras perform in the Rockford High School main gymnasium. There's a big anniversary to celebrate with a big commissioned piece. So we talked to you, Kyle, pitcher director of the Rockford High School Orchestra, to discuss. Morning to you, Kyle. Good morning, Shelley. What instrument did you play in elementary school? Ooh, I first started on the cello. And then uh, a couple months after that, switched to the double bass. And that's been my primary instrument since then. Very nice. What's been your career trajectory? Yeah. So I went to college and thought that orchestra teaching would be something that I would be uh, interested in. And turns out that that's that's the case. So um, this is my seventh year teaching and uh, second year in the Rockford Public Schools. Define an orchestra. Yeah. So an orchestra is an ensemble of musicians who come together to make music. Uh, Most often, orchestras will have string instruments. So in Rockford, we have violins, violas, cellos, and the double bass as our uh, main orchestral instruments. You don't have any favorites of the double bass, do you? Oh, of course not. So no trumpets, no bassoons? We do full orchestra on occasion in collaboration with our band program, um, and uh, hopefully more of that to come in future years, but uh, yeah. And, of course, uh, uh, nothing like a band uh, to certainly fulfill uh, not only uh, uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but that after-school and during-school activity uh, shapes a a young one. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Yeah, music um, helps students to become well-rounded individuals, 100%. Yes. March 1st, what is happening that evening? March 1st, we are celebrating 10 years of the Rockford Public Schools Orchestra Program. And that evening, we're holding a concert to celebrate in the Rockford uh, High School Gymnasium. Mm-hmm. Um, that will include all of our orchestra students enrolled in the program, which as of this year is 429 students on that gym floor. Um, we'll be able to you know, celebrate the accomplishments of the students, uh, showcase what the program's done. And we are premiering a, uh, a world premiere piece, a commission um, from Dr. Michael Hopkins from the University of Michigan that he wrote specifically for this event. Let's uh, spend time uh, talking about this. Uh, First of all, what's it mean to commission a piece? When you commission a piece of music, you um, ask a composer to write something for you in particular. Mm -hmm. So we generally set um, a a set of framework that we will have the composer write for. Uh, You know, we want it in this time signature or we want our students to practice these sorts of skills. And um, the process takes Anywhere from six months to a year, generally, they they write, um, and we, there's a revision process we go back and forth with, but uh, yeah, we've had that final copy for a few months now and are really excited to show it off. Yes. How does he, where does he start when you ask him to write a piece uh, that is entitled Rockford Rejoice? <laughs> 
Uh, the emotion really came first, uh, the idea of, well, this is going to be a joyful celebration, and so we will uh, write something joyful first. And um, the title kind of came afterwards. You know, we wanted something that uh, made it more personal to the program. And, well, there you go. Rockford, it is. There we are. Tell me more about Michael Hopkins and his, uh, well, uh, shall I say, angle to West Michigan? Sure. Yeah, Dr. Hopkins is a professor of music education at um, the University of Michigan. And he has done um, several commissions for folks around the area and uh, is a really prolific composer for specifically educational string orchestras. So if you go anywhere in the U.S. or beyond, you will probably see one of his pieces in someone's library. And uh, we've got a lot of them over here in West Michigan. We like to play our local folks. So have you been rehearsing? Oh, yes. Yeah, the process of preparation for this has taken... We started this program in January, um, and so it's been a couple months already that we've prepped this, and uh, you know, we'll have several other pieces on the concert we've been working on, too. But uh, yeah, the preparation's been going strong for a while. Your students, do they span 6th grade through 12th grade for this? Yeah, that is correct. We have 6th grade. Uh, that, that's the year where we start our orchestra students, and then they have the opportunity to, conti- to continue all the way through to their senior year and hopefully beyond as uh, young professionals out in the world. Kyle Pitcher with us, director of the Rockford High School Orchestra. Again, uh, March 1st, that's Friday after next, Rockford Public Schools. Uh, of course, the orchestras will perform in the Rockford High School main gym at 7 p.m. Is this a ticketed event? This is not. It is uh, free to the public. Yes. And uh, do we sit in the, well, it's in the auditorium, so we'll have. It's going to be in the gymnasium. It is going to be in the gymnasium. Oh, yes, it's in the gymnasium. So you'll have gymnasium seating. Yes, we'll have gymnasium bleachers there. We've got capacity for about 1,600 and uh, hoping to fill that thing. Yes. (laughs) How much does an auditorium slash gymnasium matter for sound quality? Oh, my gosh. Well, we would, we would prefer to play in the auditorium. Um, if our if the auditorium capacity could fit 429 students, um, a gymnasium is a little bit uh, echoey and uh, harder for students to stay together with. Um, but you know that's the space for the size that we have, so we're going to play in the gym. How do you prepare for this, Kyle? Well, from a teacher's perspective, there's a lot of back end work that goes into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, my two colleagues and I, uh, Allison Holden, who teaches at North Rockford Middle School, and Amy Tenney at East Rockford Middle School, mm-hmm. we have been this this is this program's been on our mind for about a year now, and we've met with people who have um, done something like this to celebrate other milestones. And um, you know, the, the the mental prep work started back then, and then. We get parents involved and uh, our administrators on board. And the, the process of preparation has taken quite a long time. And uh, really, it's just a lot of that back-end work. That, that's kind of how we've had to prepare for it. It's kind of like preparing for the show here. Exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, again, you, you've thrown out the uh, 429 orchestra students. Will be actually playing? They will be performing simultaneously, yes. This composition that Dr. Hopkins wrote, He wrote it specifically for uh, not just one orchestra all at the same difficulty level, but the piece can be performed by our sixth graders separately as its standalone piece, and then our seventh and eighth graders, and then our high schoolers. And um, they all combine together and will be able to be played then. So this will be, yeah, the biggest we've tried to do so far. And uh, a couple minutes still to to look at the behind the scenes. Tell me about... uh, uh, the difference between perhaps a sixth grader starting uh, uh, their violin versus uh, where they would be in as a senior? Oh, my gosh. 
Well, it's quite a big difference. Um, the fundamentals are all the same. You know, in the sixth grade, we really begin with the tone quality and holding the instrument, putting the fingers down. And, you know, the beauty of music is that, um, well, one of the many beauties, I should say, is that uh, we start our instrument with those fundamentals and we just keep coming back to them. It's a continued practice. By the time they reach senior year, um, you know, in sixth grade, we start with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And then senior year, we're working on Tchaikovsky right now. Um, and, uh, you know, some of these students are taking college auditions. Some of them are playing in our local Grand Rapids Youth Symphony and playing professional level literature. So it's just amazing what the students are able to do in six, seven years of instruction. Yeah. Do you still have the students vie for first chair? I actually do not in my class. Um, no, it's kind of spread around um, in my classes at the high school. It is uh, kind of student selected and um, they are... You know, your students know who they want to lead their sections, and so it's kind of a, a democratic decision in that way. Will students have the opportunities to do solos? In this concert, uh, we will not have any student soloists, uh, but our students are preparing for state solo and ensemble right now. Uh, so students are working on that sort of stuff uh, outside of the concert quite heavily. And lastly, do you ask your students somehow to practice every day? Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes I like to say, practice only on the days that you eat. Oh, <laughs> I like that, and as well as uh, days that end in Y. Yep, days that end in Y, too. I hear that, too. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, again, uh, as a former band kid uh, myself, uh, this, is, uh, this taps into some great memories, so there we are. All right, uh, there is a concert March 1st. Give me more details, please, in closing, Kyle. Yeah, so that concert March 1st. Uh, Rockford High School Gymnasium, 7 o'clock. Uh, it's just been a really big community event, uh, and we're, we're trying to include as many people as we can. We've had a ton of parent volunteers that have stepped up and uh, really just excited to celebrate with, uh, with the Rockford community and celebrate um, the legacy that's been built so far and will be continued to build for our students and beyond. Great. Well, underneath our voices is not your orchestra. Maybe it is, uh, but a uh, taste of, of course, that beautiful classical orchestral sound. All right. Rockford, rejoice. We will hear on the first. Thank you, Kyle. Keep up your great work. Thanks so much, Shelley. Pathways to Promise is a nationwide nonprofit dedicated to helping faith communities and other organizations support people with mental health challenges. Let's talk about pathways. Let's talk about the word companion. Put them together. We've got a, a teaching of a companionship workshop. I bring you in to do just that, Mark Stevenson. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning, Shelley. Thanks so much for this opportunity. Yes. Well, you reached out. We 99% of the time say yes, there we are, unless you're like a bake sale or a car wash, you know, I'll give you a plug. Pathways to Promise, what is this all about as you are the, the president of the board? Right, Pathways to Promise started in 1988 with the purpose of uh, helping a number of um, primarily uh, Christian denominations, but also uh, there was a large Jewish uh, community. Uh, and the whole purpose was to collaborate, to share resources so that these uh, faith communities could help people uh, experiencing mental health challenges. And that started in 1988. Uh, we've been going ever since then. And one of our key trainings is uh, companionship. So we offer training, we have a library of resources, and we help communities to organize to be able to help others uh, experiencing mental health challenges. You know, we, again, there's wor a workshop coming up. We'll get to that. Let me take half a step back. How would you define a, a mental health challenge? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would or define who is it your target broadly. audience? Maybe. Well, I would define it broadly as as uh, um, people experiencing struggle, despair, loneliness, isolation, distress. Uh, that's that's of the heart. I mean, that's just a real big. That certainly isn't a technical definition, but but it, it's all about folks who are experiencing times that uh, they wish were a lot better than they are. And people from all walks of life? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and also it, it includes people uh, dealing with grief, people experiencing uh, addictions of various kinds, uh, people who've had, you know, just some crisis happened in life, trauma, past trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's just a wide range of challenges that we all face. Yes. And uh, again, pathways to promise. What does the, what's the promise mean? The promise is about that there is hope. Mm-hmm. When people are experiencing de- despair, there's a time of struggle, questioning, can, is life worth living? And the promise is that there is a promise of hope as we connect with one another. Yes, and obviously you're changing lives. We are. Right. Mark, let's get into uh, you, one of the 100 uh, people nationwide certified as a community trainer for Pathways to Teach Companionship. What moved you to do this? Well, I've been on the board of Pathways to Promise for year, for years, and as I found out about uh, and learned more about companionship, that we, that we made that a part of Pathways to Promise uh, after, the, after Pathways to Promise started, and that was thanks to somebody who was, uh, for a time, our executive director, Craig Renneboe, he did a DMIN project um, back in the 80s on how do we connect well with other people. He did it at the Pacific School of Religion. And then he put that into practice on the streets of Seattle for over 30 years as a community chaplain. And so Craig then took companionship, and then he allowed us as Pathways to Promise to make it part of our programming. And uh, so when I saw that as, as the president of the board, I said, wow, that's something I would like to be able to help others with as well. I was just reading in Fast Company magazine yesterday that, you know, a, a lot about how in despair you need to think about self-care. And in, this article said that self-care, part of an important part of self-care is caring for other people. That as we care for others, we don't just benefit them, but we benefit ourselves by connecting. Get what you give, perhaps. Right. You have been leading companionship workshops here in West Michigan a couple times a year since the fall of 2021. Tell me what a workshop's like, and I know we have another on the 23rd of March. Yes, uh, we spend about three and a half hours together, and... uh, the main thing we address is what we call the five practices of companionship, which are deceptively simple, but they're brilliant, they're powerful. It's all about being fully present without trying to fix another person. So hospitality, that's developing this safe space. Neighboring is a frameless relationship that I'm equal with this other person, no matter who they are, no matter if they've had a shower in the last month or not. You know, no matter if we're the same income level or education level, we're, we're equals. Side by side is the third practice. And it's not just a posture, although a posture of side by side can be very helpful when somebody feels threatened. But it's also about dignity, agency, and mutuality. 
Uh, and then uh, fourth practice is listening, not attempting to fix the other, but just listening so, and, and for their own soul story. And then the fifth practice is accompaniment, walking alongside <clears throat> so that we can start to connect this person who may be isolated and connect them into community. So anyway, so those so it, we talk about those five practices, and then we we do a lot of um, uh, group work as well to to practice those a little bit. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun, uh, and it's uh, for me anyway. Watching the eyes of people light up as they see, oh, I can think about this person, I can think about this situation, or they have some self recognition. To me, that is just so rewarding. That and then for them to be able to go out and put these uh, into practice. And again, you benefiting as well personally. Absolutely. Yes. We're going to speak with one from Movement West Michigan in just a minute because I know that they are uh, uh, one of your your sponsors. Right. Yeah. Movement West Michigan. We started partnering together, and I'm really thankful. They help with uh, registration. They help with uh, funding the, the uh, snacks, you know, the hospitality part. It's great. Very thankful for them. Snacks are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes. That's part of hospitality. <laughs> Mark Stevenson with us, Pathways to Promise, our conversation, and nationwide, of course, nonprofit dedicated to helping faith communities and other organizations support people with mental health challenges. The event, the workshop that you'll be leading March 23rd, I think it's a Saturday. Tell yes. me more about this. Sure. You can register by just um, Googling Movement West Michigan. And when you do that, you'll get to their homepage. And right there, March 23, Moran Park Church is the location. You're right, Saturday morning, March 23, and there's the RSVP link right there, and then people can register. It's, 20, it's only $20, and uh, that provides for this training, some snacks in the morning, that kind of thing. Where, uh, where exactly is the church? In what generation? Oh, uh, yeah, in Holland, Michigan. In Holland, Michigan. Yeah, very yeah nice. right near Lake Makatawa. Uh, well, that's probably not a bad uh, backdrop as well. 9.37 in the morning, again, listening to the Shelley Irwin Show and talking all things Pathways to Promise. We teased you, Laura Yonker. Glad that you are here and, of course, now ready to talk to you. And I'm going to get right into it for time purposes. You've been patient. Movement West Michigan, what are you all about? much for having us. Um, I'm Laura Yonker from Movement West Michigan, which is a network of Christian leaders in the Holland Zealand area. Um, we exist to unite the body of Christ to serve the community collaboratively so that all may flourish in our community. So we do that through building networks um, of leaders that have shared passions in our community. We also offer tools um, to equip Christian leaders. Um, that's where the, the workshop of companionship fits in. Um, and we also offer collaborative initiatives. So we do a lot of service with multiple churches working together, different Christian businesses and nonprofits, um, helping the community around things like refugee resettlement and supporting single moms or doing things to support mental health efforts across our community. Yes. Why your interest in a topic of companionship? 
Yeah. So companionship uh, is relevant for anyone who is in a relationship. Um, we recognize that it's a, a beautiful model of learning how to have mutual relationships with those who may be in distress. Um, and we recognize that that is needed in all of our churches and across the community um, at large. So we were honored when Mark Stevenson approached us um, a couple of years ago and asked if we would help facilitate the these workshops um, every uh, about six months or so uh, to encourage Christian leaders, um, but also people who maybe don't have come from a faith background, but have need of of some support in relationships with family, with neighbors, with clients um, who maybe are a little. Um, difficult at times, and it's challenging to figure out how to have sustainable relationships with them. So we really believe in the companionship model and are so grateful for Mark's expertise. Yes, your response to that, Mark. Uh, I'm really thankful for this partnership. Movement West Michigan has so many connections to the community. Very grateful for your work. I'm a friend of the founder of Movement West Mm -hmm. Michigan, Lynn Kotecki, and uh, thrilled about the work that gets done and all the different ways that you support faith leaders in, in our community. And I'm thankful to be able to be part of that as part of that training. And you know, you don't have to be a faith leader to come to the companionship workshop. Like like Laura said, anybody in a relationship with another person, it'll va- it'll benefit. That means uh, it should be a sold out event. Uh, yeah, for, for <laughs> <sure>. I hope so. <laughs> yes, describe a. A, com- a workshop. Can you do that for me, Laura? Sure. Um, so typically we will ask one of our local church partners to host the workshop, um, and they've been generous to donate the space. Um, on March 23rd, we'll have um, the workshop at Moran Park in Holland, yes. and we we typically will provide some Basic refreshments, breakfast items. We call um, them snacks. Snacks. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> the snacks are, are crucial. Um, but we offer just the, the open space for about three hours, actually. Um, Mark leads the participants through the workbook um, of the with all the, the – the steps of companionship, um, and he does a great job of facilitating the conversation so that it's engaging and there's some um, acting involved. There's some uh, relevant conversation about different um, scenarios that the participants maybe have in their own personal lives. So they can talk about, you know, this neighbor who's been frustrating uh, or about a a cousin who's been extra demanding. Um, And so, yeah, it's really interactive um, and it it goes, there's a few breaks in between, um, but Mark can go into more of the content since he's the facilitator. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, I did mention the five practices of companionship earlier. One other thing that we address in the workshop is limits and boundaries, because as people start to experience deeper trust with you as you companion with them, sometimes people start asking things of you that you may not be able or ready to give. You know, can I borrow $20? Can you drive me... Uh, to Detroit, can you know, whatever. Can I stay with you for a night? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we talk about how our limits are an opportunity for community. Because when I am limited, I help 
to this person who may be feeling isolated to be able to start to connect with others that I have connection with. And that really is the fifth practice of uh, companionship, which is accompaniment. But we need to recognize that our limits are okay. In fact, they're a good thing. And therefore, it's okay to set boundaries. And so we even practice as a group saying, I am not able to do that. Hey, can I borrow $20? I am not able to do that. Can I stay with you just for a night? I am not able to do that. (laughs) I was just talking to a pastor uh, last night who participated in companionship. Don't don't pastors say yes to everything? Oh, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. (laughs) And she did that about a year and a half ago. And when I mentioned the workshop coming up in March, she immediately said, ah, I remember I'm not able to do that. Uh, that yeah. was the there phrase. We nice. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, I'll. I'm going to end with uh, uh, how you see the action items uh, taken from the companionship workshop, and I, I trust that's one of them. Uh, learning, learning your limits. Absolutely. And walking yeah. away yeah. with with the verbiage for sure. Yeah, and showing up, just having the confidence to be able to show up, uh, and that's part of what companionship is about, and not needing to fix, but just be fully present. Yes. Lauren Yonker, Laura Yonker, how do we find out more about Movement West Michigan? Yeah, you can go to our website, movementwestmi.org. You'll find the information about the companionship workshop right on our homepage or under uh, tools where we find all of our upcoming workshops. Um, But yeah, if you're interested in getting connected to this network of Christian leaders, you can also sign up for our newsletter. Um, You'll get information about our podcast that we host every month, um, about the network gatherings, uh, the workshops and the yeah, initiatives that we're currently working on in Holland and Zealand. Thank you for that. Mark Stevenson, on behalf of Pathways to Promise, your final word. Yeah, Pathways to Promise, Pathways, the number two, promise.org. Just really grateful for this opportunity, Shelley, to, to be able to talk. I'm excited about the upcoming workshop and thankful for this partnership with Movement West Michigan. Nice. Calendar's March, marked for March 23. Thank you both. Thank you. West Michigan Works, add the exclamation point, has recognized 10 area frontline workers with the Beverly A. Drake Essential Service Awards. We spoke about this earlier. Uh, To get the awardee uh, uh, obviously applied, and now honorees recently recognized at the Economic Club of Grand Rapids meeting, that was February 5th, presented with a gift card. Of course, Essential Service Awards do recognize frontline workers who go above and beyond their daily responsibilities displaying integrity, passion, and commitment. And you bet we have an award winner in the house along with you, Mark. Mark Bergsma, West Michigan Works Workforce Development Board member and account executive with BHS Insurance. Got to give the day job a plug. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Shelley. Thank you. And Marilyn Lopez, corporate receptionist, Plascor, correct? Good morning. That's yeah. correct. Are we making you miss work? Yes, and that's okay. I'll be there after. (laughs) (laughs) You you will, or you wouldn't be an awardee, that's for sure. Mark, let me have you remind us, uh, share us how the Essential Service Awards began and their importance in West Michigan. Absolutely. So, yeah, Beverly Drake uh, was former former West Michigan Works CEO for about 36 years, and her passion was to, uh, you know, honor frontline workers, people that uh, sort of are the, the foundation of our economy. The award recognizes the crucial but often unrecognized roles that people fill across all industries in West Michigan. Whether they're on the front lines or behind the scenes, they're making sure customers are happy or products are perfect, and uh, we celebrate that. 
we know there are rising costs. We know about inflation. So I ask you, Mark, why it's crucial now more than ever to recognize the contributions of frontline workers. Absolutely. We've all gone to the store and paid a little bit more for what we buy these days. And this is our 14th year of the Essential Service Awards. And while we've always valued the contributions of frontline workers, uh, the current economic climate marked by rising inflation and costs of living pressures makes this year's Essential Service Awards even more pertinent. Uh, We're honoring frontline workers and their dedication and perseverance. Uh, That's so crucial as many continue to navigate uncertain economic waters while serving our community. And remind me, who, uh, who does qualified for being nominated for an Essential Service Award? So a, an awardee has to uh, be in their job for two or more years, uh, work in our surrounding counties, Allegan, Barrie, Ionia, Kent, Montcalm, Muskegon, or Ottawa, uh, does not manage other employees, so they are truly frontline workers and displays, displays a pride in their job with a strong work ethic. So let's see. Marilyn works in the county involved, has been with her employer for two or more years, doesn't manage other employees except herself, and of course displays pride in her job with a strong work ethic. So congratulations, Marilyn. Thank you very much. Yes. Talk about your role as corporate receptionist uh, with Plascor. Sure, of course. So I'm the first face guest see when they come into our organization and that is very important to me. I like to greet them with a smile. And we get people coming through our doors at Plascor Incorporated from all walks of life. And I'm very down to earth and I find it important to connect with everybody that walks through our doors, whether they're there for a job or they're a CEO of another company. Um, so if somebody comes in, for example, and they're coming for an interview and they're nervous, they're dressed sharp and they're in a nice three-piece suit, I'm quick to compliment them and I just find that that boosts their confidence a little bit and then they're more eager and confident for their interviews so I just think it's really important to make everyone's day a little bit better and I enjoy my role interacting with different people every day. Awesome practicing the golden rule. Your nominator mentioned your willingness to represent Plascor in the community. Why is that important to you? So I um, I find that very important um, because I'm a first generation born here in the United States. My father is from Peru and my mom was born in Mexico City. She's Polish and Spanish. And I find it very important that I can represent and show young Latino and Latino children, Latinas, that it is possible to uh, live the American dream. And Plascore has given me that opportunity. Um, so I find it very important to volunteer. Um, I've attended events like the Laup Fiesta in Holland. Um, I participated in the Tulip Time Parade. It was our very first float in the parade. You got to wave down. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And the Holland International Festival was also an event that Plascore sponsors. And we like to share um, what Plascore is all about at these events with our diverse people in our community of Holland, Michigan. Well, give Plascor a plug. What uh, What's the company do? Uh, so our company was established. It's a global manufacturer of honeycomb core, composite structures, and clean room systems. Um, Plascor is an employee-driven organization fueled by professional teams and dedicated years of service these people have um, in the service and manufacturing industry. Our owner is from Germany, Fritz Hubner, and now his son took over, and he's our president, Olaf Hubner. And they're a very family-oriented company, and they take very good care of us there. 
Right. Hence, you take care of the customers. Marilyn, where does your work ethic come from? My work ethic comes from my mother. Uh, I, my late mother, um, she was a single mom of four daughters, and she came to Chicago when she was 13 years old, and she met my dad at 20 and taught him how to speak English. Um, and then she just continued, even after they separated, to work very hard for me and my sisters. Mm-hmm. My first job at 15 was working at a hotel, country and in Holland, and we cleaned hotel rooms together on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never missed a beat. She always had three meals on the table for my sisters and I and raised us all to be strong, independent women and take good care of our family and um, value God and all the beautiful blessings that you we have in this life and not to take it for granted thank you for that how's it feel to be recognized with with an essential service award Marilyn it feels really awesome it totally came out of you know I did not see this coming so it was just a very pleasant surprise um Emily Babson my human resources manager um nominated me along with George Vasquez And it just really feels awesome to be seen. And I don't, you know, ever want to take for granted that these opportunities are here and presented for, and it's not by accident. Um, I want to be able to use my platform to spread awareness and just let people know that anything is possible with hard work and dedication. Nice. Thank you for you. Wow. Mark. Uh, you know, we want to bask in the success of, of Marilyn and her, her, her teammates, other awardees. But uh, goodness gracious, let's move on to the next year. When will nominations open back up? Well, let's just say for the 15th year of Essential Service Awards. Yeah, that'll be coming up again later this year, uh, probably late summer, early fall. Um, and I just want to emphasize, everybody knows somebody out there like Marilyn who has an impact on their life. Marilyn's well, kind of unique. <laughs> that's, they're, all, they're all unique. That's the great part of the award. So I really want to encourage people to nominate those folks, your, your, your favorite barista or whoever it is in your community that you want to nominate, because anyone can nominate somebody. Uh, so when those nominations come back open later this year, uh, just remember, if somebody's been in their job for, for a couple of years, and they're in Kent County or the surrounding counties, uh, and they're a frontline person and has the pride and work ethic that Marilyn has in her job, please nominate those folks. And you can follow West Michigan Works on social media. Uh, check out the post to see when the nomination period opens. Great and important. Uh, uh, one of the many good works uh, that Michigan Works does, recognizing 10 area frontline workers with the Beverly A. Drake Essential Service Award. Marilyn, what do you do for fun? I am a yoga teacher part time. Um, yoga is my one of my biggest passions, and it's helped me through a lot of challenges in my life. Um, it's mental, spiritual, and it's just got a lot of different benefits. So I love to teach yoga, and I love to take care of my niece and nephews. I have five, and even though I don't have children of my own, I love spending time with my family and cooking, and just taking time to cherish all my loved ones and all my blessings. Lucky family for sure all right go get them Marilyn uh, keep up your good work and uh, um, uh, serving as certainly an example mark one more time uh, best way to find out more about what West Michigan works go to westmiworks.org or check us out uh, West Michigan works on social media thanks Shelly thanks to you all thank you that's a wrap your inspiration for the day according to Voltaire judge a man I'll add woman too by his or her questions rather than by his answers. All right, think about that. 
I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great day. I'm Shelly Irwin.